What's up, guys? Hey. Important questions, all important. I'm Jordan. Say hi, Jordan. Make me feel welcome here. Say it again, please. What's up, guys? I'm from Fresno, California, which is a big city on the way to important things. So like Yosemite and San Francisco and LA. And so uh, you guys are from Ventura. Yeah, okay. I got my first um, uh, ever and only, uh, for now, speeding ticket in Ventura, which is exciting. I was going to see Jason Mraz in concert. <laughs> which is like, you guys probably don't even know who that is now. <laughs> but uh, thrilling stuff, I know. And uh, I am a, a youth pastor at my church. I oversee middle school, high school, and our young adult ministries. And I'm super pumped to be here with you guys. I want you guys, obviously it's late. You've had a long day. I just want you to turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you're in the mountains. And then I want you to say, hey, that's way cooler than school, okay? Being in the mountains is objectively cooler. I am much more of a mountain person than a beach person, so I'm thankful to be here with you guys. I love camp. Um, I, so a little bit about me. Uh, I went to school in Southern California, actually. I went to Cal Baptist University. Yee, go Lancers. And uh, I played baseball, which was exciting. Uh, is there any baseball players in here? Yeah. Okay, I was third baseman and uh, exciting stuff. Uh, I have a family now, okay? I've been married to my wife, Jamie, for 11 years. And this is my family. I was full mustache at this point. That's Rowan on the bottom. So this is Jubilee, our little nug, okay? She's awesome. And this is Rowan with a little chick. He didn't kill it. Thought he might have. And then just one more shot of all of us being dorky in the woods uh, with snow and stuff. Really highlights the gap between my teeth, so that's exciting to me. Um, and Jubilee mostly looks confused. She is uh, like this, and uh, not very tall, but very wide. She's a girthy baby, which is exciting. Uh, we have... So much fun together as a family. We live in an awesome neighborhood with lots of friends. They're going to be up here tomorrow, so if you see them running around, give them a high five. My son is super, super friendly. Rowan will give you a high five. He will say hello. So that's me. That's who I am. And you guys, I went to a Christian school. I went to just, you know, not the same school as you, but a school called Fresno Christian. And so I have a little bit of a snippet of a picture of what it's like growing up in your environment. And this week, as we talked about so much, we are talking about truth. What is truth? What is truth? We're going to be talking through the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 1, conveniently. And we're going to be just... Have you guys... I just recently taught my son, Rowan, to skip rocks. You guys know? Have you, okay? A little sidearm action. Uh, he cannot do it. It just goes kerplunk. But he, he thinks I'm like the king of skipping rocks because it does it all. And uh, we are going to be skipping rocks through the book of John, talking about the idea of truth, landing in different stories, lots of miracles of Jesus, and talking about who he is, what his truth is. I'm going to remind you of our overarching theme verse, a quote 
uh, from John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38. It says, Therefore Pilate, the Roman governor, governor, said to Jesus, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, the most important question we'll deal with this week, what is truth? What is it? And in a day and age that we live in, it's a very complicated question, not an easily answered one, common. It could be very an interesting question for a lot of people because you can ask 10 different people on the street what their idea of truth is, and they may have 10 different answers. But we believe in a God who is eternal, not changing. So what does he say about that? Um, as a kid, I used to test God all the time. Um, I had a very like, doubtful relationship with God, right? And so um, you know, I, I would do a lot of things. Like I would say, hey, if this happens, then maybe you're real. Or, uh, oh, I would do the whole... Um, you know, like, uh, maybe if uh, Susie uh, likes me, I'm going to open my Bible, I'm going to point to a verse, and that'll be God's answer for me. And it would be like, and God vanquished the Israelites through the hands of the Babylonians. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, Susie, no, vanquishing my relationship. So I would always try to get these answers from him. But I also had a very difficult relationship with God. Let me be real with you guys. My dad ran out on my family when I was two years old. And this God of the Bible is supposed to be father. So how do I trust his truth? And so I would test him. Hey, if this day, if this happens, if I get an A on this test, if I do this thing right, if you give me this first string spot on this team, then maybe you're true. Maybe you are really God. But that's a really wishy-washy relationship. And that really depends on me and my opinions of who God is. It doesn't depend on an unchanging, eternal God. And so we had to say, like, there has to be a better way. How do we find out truth? Not just the point to it game. It's not some kind of magic vending machine. There has to be a better way. And so that's what we're talking about. And God, you'll see today, is revealed in three ways, right? So we're in the mountains, okay? God is revealed in creation. He promises us that you can see pieces of him in creation. Understand him. Do you guys know what half dome is? All right, so it's on the cover of lots of things. It's exciting. Uh, growing up in Fresno, we went to Yosemite Valley a lot. And I hiked half dome probably uh, close to seven or eight times. It's a very grueling, very difficult hike, but my family likes to hike. It is what it is. And the last time I did it, I remember I got to the top. And you get up, and you get this insane 360, 360 perspective of one of the most beautiful wildernesses you've ever seen. And I got up there, and there's this guy standing next to me, and I'm like, man, I just start talking about how beautiful it is, how incredible. This can't be an accident. And I'm just going on, and I'm gushing about what I see. And then I look at the guy, and he goes... <laughs> is nice. <laughs> he doesn't speak English. <laughs> so we didn't have a conversation. <laughs> but I hope that it would be he would realize that like, you know, there is a designer to this incredible beauty, this painting that's being painted in front of. Him. So God's revealed in creation, right? He promises us 
that he's also revealed in his word, in scripture, that he'll show us himself through scripture. And uh, I think of it, and we'll talk about this several times, especially tomorrow morning as we talk more about God, his truth in scripture. But uh, scripture is our glasses, right? I, I actually needed glasses until um, basically my whole life. And I didn't get them until high school. And I put them on and I was like, oh, the world is HD. It's beautiful. I never knew these things existed. I could read that sign. This is inc- I could hit a baseball better. This is amazing. I didn't know I needed glasses, right? But these are the things through which I interpret everything around me in the world, the things I see through. In Scripture, God promises us we can use Scripture that way. And then lastly, which will be the overarching theme, is that God reveals himself in his Son, in Jesus Christ. God is revealed in the person of Jesus. So as we explore truth this week, we have to talk about the difficult relationship that our world has with truth, the world around us, right? Because it doesn't seem that we have what's called absolute, cult, absolute truth as a culture. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your guys' uh, patience after a long day, but let's just talk about this, okay? And I, as, as Russell, as uh, Biscuit uh, said, uh, uh, <laughs> Russ Biscuit, and uh, as he said, I'm gonna just treat you guys like you are willing and able to explore these topics together, all right? We're gonna walk slowly, thoroughly, but I do believe that you can digest this stuff. We'll see when Jesus recruits and walks with disciples, a lot of those disciples were your age. You understand? People who walked with Jesus were so close to your age with the exceptions of a few of them. And I believe you can walk with these things. So walk with me in this, right? So let's talk about absolute versus relative truth. And you're like, Jordan, I don't know what that means, right? You may have heard of objective truth, things like relative truth, and it's okay. Uh, Let me help define it for you, right? Absolute truth is a truth that is always true. Pretty crazy, right? If I told you, hey, the sun is hotter than my iPhone flashlight, Would you be blown out of the water? No, no, right, okay, yeah. You'd be like, yeah, of course. But if I told you that the 49ers is the greatest sports franchise in the history of NFL football, I might think that's an absolute, well, okay, so you guys see, (laughs) that's, so where are my 49ers fans at, okay? I love it. But here, what you just heard was an absolute truth. The sun is hotter than my flashlight. (laughs) And the 49ers, there's going to be a lot of opinions on which sports team is best. And there's a lot of arguments, none of which are objectively, absolutely, I love it, true, right? Because you may have an opinion, and that would mean that that thing is more relative. It's, it's relating to each different person. That truth comes from within. Absolute truth is something that exists and is outside of us, no matter our interaction with it. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay, absolute truth, always true, outside of you, you can't change it, relative. There are things that are relatively true, right? I prefer a fan on all the time in my bedroom as I sleep. My wife is extremely thin and great, but 
she lives as a popsicle. And so she has five blankets. I have a fan. These are our truths. You understand where I'm coming from, guys? Okay? Different things. None is absolutely true, but it is. And the problem is that when you remove absolute truths from the world around us and start saying things like, hey, what is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me, and applying that to everything, then we don't know what is true at all. If nothing is absolutely true, then nothing is true. And the the issue with that is that you have a Bible and a God in front of you that would tell you stories that are very different and a Jesus that some people might want to make look like a wishy-washy teacher who just wants to say, hey, everything's good for you, everything's good for you, love everything, love everyone, and then you read his words, and he's very hard on some people, like religious elite who think they have things figured out. And he's saying, actually, you don't get it. I know these things. And he starts mapping out real ways in which you can live your life in order to connect and have abundant life with God. In real ways, and honest, like, what is sin? You're wrestling with these things. Well, does sin exist if absolute truth doesn't exist? Do you guys see where there'd be a problem? Now, despite what our world says, we still search. Even my friends who would embrace the most relative truths in saying whatever's true for you, whatever's true for me, whatever, whatever, they still desire truth. They still desire identity. When we boil down, when we have conversations, we all still, it's baked into us. We want to search. We want to know what's true. It's part of who we are. And that's because we are designed. And so let me acknowledge this, guys. Some of you would call yourself Christ followers. Some of you walking in here would be saying like, I've committed my life to Jesus. I wanna know what's true. I wanna walk with him. I'm either young in my faith or I've been doing this thing for a long time and I'm really interested and I'm committed. And some of you really don't know what you think about all this. Others, you're not quite sure about what to do with the Bible. What does it mean? I mean, you go to a Christian school, right? So you get... These ideas, a lot of times you are taught, do you guys take a Bible class at school? Okay, yeah. I remember when I first transferred into the Christian school, I remember uh, it's the first class I ever failed, which is ironic as a pastor now, but I was like, memorize Bible verses? (laughs) No, thank you. And then they're like, well, it's school still. (laughs) You have to do it. And so I figured it out eventually. But I, this is the first time I'd ever interacted with my faith in that way. And so some of you don't really know what to do with it. And some of you are in between. You may call yourself a Christian, but you may not know why. You may say you follow Jesus, but you, don't, you may not know what that means. And so let me just say this. I am super grateful that you're here. This week can be a constant and true opportunity for every person, no matter where you're at with God, with your faith, to just explore. We get to explore. And honestly, there's a danger to being a Christian school, private school kid. Because I was that middle ground kid. I thought I had it all figured out. And you know why? Because I knew the stories. 
I thought, well, I could, yeah, I could tell you, you know, the road that, you know, Jesus went on to see the woman at the well. I could, I, I could tell you the, the battle plan of Joshua because we had to memorize it. But I didn't know Jesus. And I hadn't submitted my life to Jesus. Um, I have a, there's a student who I walked with for years through a ton of life. His name is Quentin. And Quentin and I went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And Quentin's dad is this awesome dude. But he has, and he's like very wealthy, but he has a missing tooth, right? Wealthy enough to where this guy could pocket change, replace his tooth. But he has like one of the prominent ones in front is just gone. And so I had never gotten up the courage to ask Quentin's dad about his missing tooth, right? That'd be kind of inappropriate, like across the table or on a Sunday. Hey, tell me about your tooth. Where is it? Is it in your pocket? And, uh, and so we're, at, we're in the Dominican. We're sitting in this bunk bed. It's super hot and sticky. And I'm just like, Quentin, where's your dad's tooth? How long has it been missing? Does he just pop it out and pop it back in? Does he still have it? I started asking him all these tooth questions that had been building up inside of me, the tooth questions. And Quentin, I'm, kid- I'm not kidding you, Quentin goes, my dad's not missing a tooth. And I was like, hold on. First of all, are you gaslighting me? Are you just trying to convince me? And he goes, no, my dad's not missing a tooth. I'm like, I turned to this other kid, Seth. I'm like, Seth, Quentin's dad is missing a tooth in the front. And he's like, yeah, everybody knows that. Nobody knows why. And Quentin was like, what? He's having this existential crisis. The next day, Quentin FaceTimes his dad, and his dad is missing a tooth, and Quentin, he just looks at me like, my life is a lie, (laughs) right? Here's the deal. Quentin went his whole life with him. He's like, dad, missing tooth? Why do I need to ask questions about this, right? And you can live your life in this environment where to be a Christian to go to school, to go to church, to sort of boil in these waters of what it looks like to know or know things about Jesus, that can be a very dangerous place. Because you may think you know God, but all you do is know about God. And you may not know him. Um, I got into uh, like uh, Olympic powerlifting a couple years ago. And so you start building these calluses on your hands. And the dangerous part, right? Because over time, you're just grinding away. You do these lifts, and it's against the bar, all these things. And the dangerous thing is your heart. You may be rubbing up against the things of God so often without engaging in them that your heart gets calloused. And you can sit in chapel, you can sit in Bible class, you can hear the stories, you can sit on Sunday morning at youth group. It doesn't land for you because it's just a part of what you do. So please, let me just encourage you. We're in the mountains. We get to disconnect. There's a lot of things back home that want to draw you back. Maybe good, maybe bad. This is your opportunity to disconnect. This is your opportunity to leave those things in Ventura, to just let them be there. And you get to be fully present here. When's the last time you didn't have a phone to check? When's the last time you didn't have a new notification? Let me tell you, this place is a gift because of that. 
and you get ripe, fertile ground to ask big questions. Do I really believe this stuff? This faith that I claim, this faith that my family claims, my teachers claim, my coaches, all these things, do I, do I believe this? Do I say I, I, I believe this and do I do this? This is your opportunity to ask big questions and it is truly a gift. So after all that, let's look at the, uh, the book of John, okay? So first of all, it's one of the four gospels, but it's a very different one. Because if you read it, John says that he is the one whom Jesus loved, right? Kind of arrogant. Every time I read it, it kind of makes me chuckle. But it does read very differently. It's a beautiful story, one that John wrote for a reason. There's a verse at the end of John where he says, everything that's in this book was written on purpose to give you a message, to teach you something specific. Nothing was on accident. It's not like John was just like frantically writing all over a wall and they just got what they could and put it in the book. What they did was they purposefully, John collected these letters and in, and in the, the early church, they put this book together saying, Jesus, he did things that if we put him in books, all of his things, it could fill all the houses in all the world. But what we're doing is we're giving you these stories as precious accounts of the savior of the world. Don't take it for granted. So that's why John wrote what he did. And the theme of this whole book is to simply believe. He wants his readers to believe and embrace the truth. And the first, um, I, I uh, officiated a wedding recently, and it was in the mountains. It had a really long driveway, and it was like there were signs with pictures of the place you're about to go that were all up this driveway. Like, we have the most premier <laughs> sound system. We have a beautiful outdoor uh, garden for drinks and all these like hors d'oeuvre kitchens. And the, I'm like, we're about to go there. <laughs> I'm about to see this beautiful place. But that's what John's first chapter is doing. John is writing from the perspective saying, hey, spoiler alert, this is who Jesus is. This is the man, the God, who you're about to encounter in the rest of this book. And he says in John chapter one, verses one through three, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So it's a little bit in the being, in the beginning, in the beginning, 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 right? <laughs> but as somebody who would read this in a Jewish worldview, because remember, Jesus was very Jewish. They would read this and think, oh, I remember beginning of our scriptures being in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, wow. Jesus is, he's there? So one, the time before anything was created, Jesus was there. I mean, pre-creation. I want you to imagine nothing that's here, this boat, these TVs don't exist, nothing. Pure nothingness. That's what it is. In the beginning, nothing has been spoken into the world. Nothing. God, always existing. Jesus, always existing. And he calls him the word. Jesus is the word. And words, what are words? <laughs> Letter, communication. Hey, that's a good answer. Words are an expression of the person speaking. 
right? Jesus is an expression of God. Do you guys have ever had those moments where you're like, why did I say that, right? My first ever girlfriend, Janice Cash, if you're out there, hope you're doing well. Janice Cash, uh, eighth grade, right? I was so in love with her, oh my gosh. I didn't even know how to talk to her. I was probably so smelly, I didn't care. And I remember one day, we were talking in the hallway, Janice Cash and me, and we we're just talking, and she asked me a question, I don't even remember what the question was. And I just said, I love you. <laughs> and she dumped me. <laughs> she broke my heart in that hallway because I was inappropriate. And I said a thing that came out on the outside that was on the inside, right? It was an expression of how I genuinely felt. And Janice did not feel the same way. That's okay. In retrospect, it worked out. But you guys have probably been there, right? The thing that's inside, you're like, filter. It's an expression of what's in here. Our speech is an expression of us. The word is the expression of God in the form of Jesus. Pre-existent, before anything. It's very important. With God, was God, and created. Okay, I want you guys to realize, like when you think about God, when you think about the creation of the universe, do you think about Jesus? No, I mean, most of us think of like uh, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, crusty old white guy, like, you know, it's here and then that's what it is. But in the Bible, Jesus is described as being the agent of creation. Jesus is the one, the same hands that put the, spit in the mud and healed the blind man's eyes, the same hands that walked and healed the lepers, the people who were, you know, raised people from the dead, those hands were there at the beginning of time. God, in three-in-oneness, blowing your mind because you don't understand, that same God is Jesus, creating everything through him, by him. These words are from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, says, for him, all things were created. For Jesus, all things were created. The heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus existed at the beginning before all things. He holds everything together. I don't know what your picture of God is, but it seems pretty clear that when the Bible mentions God, it wants you to think of Jesus. Ask yourself that question. What do I think of, like he said, when I think of God? Remember, we mentioned, I mentioned Genesis 1, where the earth was formless and void, and God, in the beginning, was just there before everything. God does something incredible. He creates something out of nothing by his very breath, the Bible says. His word, his, his ruah. Everybody say, ruah. Oh, that's nice. Okay, you're still with me. Ruah. That's, Je that's Jesus's, that's God's breath creating everything. He does something incredible. The first time, and the only time something has ever been created from nothing. Seven days. Light, atmosphere, ground, sun, moon, stars, birds, sea creatures, land animals, and humans, and rest. And God says it's all good, and humans are very good. 
That is the God we're talking about. That is the Jesus we're talking about. God created things. He set them into motion. And in the creation of these things, he decided how it would be. He created the parameters. He is the creator. He gets to do that. And so if God is creator, then listen to me. If God is creator, then truth is defined by him. He is the definer of truth. We are not the creator. We are the creation. We need to look to creator to define truth. He sets the parameters. He sets the ways in which freedom is, exists. This means that the source of truth and his word is the revelation of truth. It's been said that if you created the universe, you could have decided how it would best work. But we didn't. We are creation in the presence of the creator. And if you believe that God created you, then you have to admit that he gets to decide your purpose. This is what John says about the son of God or the word as he describes him in John 1 verses 14 and 15. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God put on human form, got fleshy, and dwelt among us. And he saw, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of both grace and truth. John testifies about him and cried out saying, so John, Jesus' cousin, says this thing. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me, has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Remember, Jesus was born before or after John, but John admits he existed before me. He knows the identity of Jesus. He preexisted, he being God. Jesus is God's glory in human form. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is perfect truth and perfect grace. John 14, six says, and Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the world says there are many ways. The world says that to have faith in God would look like a mountain with many paths up to the same place. It's a very common thing to say. I've heard it a thousand times as a pastor. But that is not what Jesus says. You will see that God's idea of truth is that it may appear that way, but only one path leads to life and only one path through him leads to God. The rest, in fact, lead to death. And the world says that everyone's truth is individual. But here's the crazy thing about what your Bible claims. Your Bible doesn't even claim that your truth, that our truth, is a system. It's an equation that you can work out, and just snap into place, you know, square goes in square, circle in circle, and we're good to go. Your Bible says that truth is a person, and that person is Jesus. Truth is a person. And if you believe that, this is why it's really hard to believe. If you believe that, that requires your whole life. 
to be in Christ is to give your whole life over to him. And that is a difficult thing because we as people, we wanna do what we wanna do. And the Bible says that the only way we can actually find real life is in his truth. Everything about him is truth. Everything he does, everything he says, everything you'll read about him, it all is truth. And this is the most important thing you'll ever wrestle with, just like the video said. What comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? Is it allegiance? And here's the hard part that you're gonna have to wrestle with. Your answer is non-transferable, okay? Cell phones used to have this thing called rollover plans <laughs> where your whole family would have all these minutes and if you didn't lose up the minutes, they could go over to different family members and it's fine. But this truth is not transferable. What God requires is that every one of us need to answer this for ourselves. You cannot inherit it from your mama, your grandpa, your mammy, your pappy, nobody else. It has to be you, your answer, your ownership, because if you are giving your life, that's your decision. It's not easy. It's not transferable and it's not inheritable. It is your choice. And answering yes or no to the truth of Christ has implications for everything. So let me leave you with this, you guys. Because God in Trinity created everything we see and experience, he has the ability to define what truth is and what your purpose is as his creation. This means that the only reliable source of truth is found in what has been revealed by God, in his creation, in his word, and in the person of Jesus. So we're gonna spend the rest of our week asking the same question that Pontius Pilate asked. What is truth? And, we're gonna, and I, let me challenge you to take this opportunity to truly ask because you have people here with you who want to walk with you in that. Adults who came here took a whole week of their life to walk with you in these hard, difficult, long, eternal questions. Let's wrestle together. Let me pray. Father, I am thankful for your son. I'm thankful for this truth. I'm thankful that you designed us and that you know better than me. I'm so thankful that these students are here, God. This particular group of people has never existed in the history of man and will never again. You designed everyone in this room. You love every person in this room and you want them to have abundant life. So I pray, God, that they would have the courage this week to simply wrestle with the answers to who are you to them. What do they want? What is their purpose? What is real truth? And how do they answer it for themselves? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.